Christian Conspiracy Coalition. Without faith, without belief in something, what are we? You know, the hardest thing is to listen, to hear his voice, God's voice. It's a leap of faith. I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. Welcome back to another episode of Christian Conspiracy Coalition, a place where the best minds in the conspiracy realm gather to share and discuss their faith, Christianity, and the spiritual war thrust upon humanity. John 3.8 states, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And that is what brings us here today. We're all sons and daughters of God, and it's our duty to destroy the devil's work here in the physical realm. I couldn't be prouder to stand side by side with my fellow coalition members in this spiritual war. So let us welcome tonight's coalition. First up, Heidi Love from the Unfiltered Rise podcast. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. Even though I'm the troublemaker, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, anyone that just draws attention away from my troublemaking <laughs> is always a good thing. Always, always great to have a scapegoat, especially if they're a Mormon or ex-Mormon. True. And, <laughs> and I don't have Elon Musk after me yet. So, I mean, yeah. No, that's right. I've got that. a bigger target, I suppose. <laughs> Next up, you have Christopher. An X. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have an X on me, quite literally. Next up, we have Christopher and Jason of Operation Red Pill. Welcome back, fellas. Thanks, Drew. It's good to be here. No worries. And Jason is there. Unfortunately, can't see him. He's having some video issues. But as you guys know, this is predominantly an audio podcast, so it's not an issue. We'll still get his lovely baritone voice, and he's going to contribute as much as he possibly can. I know it. And for his very first <laughs> appearance, Brandon Kroll. Welcome, Brandon. Hey, thanks for having me on. No problem, mate. Uh, natural that you would find your way into this little group after our previous discussion and the work that you've been doing. So you are more than welcome, my friend. Appreciate that. Thank you. No problem. All right, gentlemen and lady. In light of tonight's conversation, I need to read from you Sun Tzu's Art of War, in which he famously said, If you know the enemy, know yourself. You need not fear the result of a 100 battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you'll also suffer a defeat. If you know neither your enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. With this in mind, we have tonight's topics that we are discussing. First up, how much power does Lucifer really have? And how does he wield this control over humanity? Secondly, does Lucifer know he will lose this spiritual war? And to finish the show off, is there a greater evil sitting above Lucifer? To get us started, John 5.19 states, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the one evil, Lucifer. But what does this mean? How far does this control truly go? How much of his power is extended into the heavenly and spiritual realm? Or does it just reside within the earth in which we live? Who would like to get started on this little chestnut of a conversation? Um, I guess I could start. Go for it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So it was really interesting in, in looking at, you know, how much power he has, because it's not something that we even ask ourselves that often, right, to kind of put parameters on him. So, you know, he's the he's the fallen cherub. He's the one that had uh, or said the five I wills. He, his wisdom was perfect until, you know, pride was found in him or iniquity was found in him. And then he was a merchant 
who, because of the success of his trade, um, was led into violence. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, but I think Dan Duvall touches on this a little bit, but he suggests that it's possible that Lucifer isn't actually the most powerful of celestial beings that exist. Um, but he has kind of legal rights over a bunch of other entities, whether it be from trading or, you know, deceit, like we see happen in the garden of Eden. Um, Cause he never, you know, forced himself on Eve. Um, he was just able to kind of influence her. And, and I guess that that could be considered a type of power, but it had me going through like all these scriptures to figure out, you know, like what, what is the kingdom of darkness look like? Like, how is it structured? Cause second Corinthians four, four said that, you know, Satan's the God of this world. And then, you know, we go to Ephesians six twelve, and it talks about the fact that we fight against rulers and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So those, I mean, if we're, if we're trying to build a case, those would be underneath him, right? If Satan was the God of this world, then all of those, that, that hierarchy would sit underneath his, his leadership. Um, and then I went to Luke four, where G, um, Satan is, is tempting Jesus. And, you know, it says, uh, I, I think I have it right here. It says, then the devil uh, taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And Satan says to him, I will give you all uh, this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me and I give it to whoever I wish. And what jumped out to me when I read it this time is he only has it because it was handed over to him. So I wonder if that's really where a lot of his, his quote unquote power comes from. Cause you know, we don't see continents exploding and you know, this, this massive show of force that you would expect from a, you know, quote unquote powerful celestial being. But I think um, choice after choice, contract after contract, trade after trade, when we choose to do things his way and not our own way, we hand over bits and pieces um, to him. And I don't know if you would call that power or influence, but I think that's makes up a bulk of what gives him or what makes him so dangerous um, to us. We also have to remember that he's an archangel as well. He's God's most beloved son of the heavenly realm who, for whatever reason, turned his back on God and rebelled. But a lot of people don't realize or they neglect to to notice that when we talk about the devil, evil, whatever this entity is, people often say evil cannot create. It can only defile and twist what's already in existence. Lucifer's brother, Michael, had the power, has the power of creation to a lesser extent of what God does. So if you look at Lucifer as merely a musician of the heavens, what do musicians have? They have creativity. They have the abundance to create beautiful mus- musical transcripts. They can create through that element. So I think that we often forget that maybe Lucifer does have the ability to create. And in my mind, I think that what we see today, and especially in the 21st century, is the entertainment industry. How much of the in, of the entertainment industry is influenced and co-opted and, and used as a viable weapon against us in the spiritual war? And it's interesting that you mentioned, Jason, that, oh, Christopher, sorry, that we're not seeing these huge events of destruction when archangels, all archangels, according to scripture, have the ability to smite. But then it comes back to the idea of 
well, how much power is God allowing Lucifer to have on earth? Because it was gift, the earth was gifted to him, how much of the powers is he allowing him to wield? And that becomes a bigger part of the question itself. Okay. Can I tap on? Good point. Go for it. Yeah. So I, I would have to agree a lot with what Christopher just relayed. Um, I would lean into Enoch only for the reason because it would make sense that I buy the story that when Cain did his sacrifice, he basically was kind of ticked at God saying, okay, now I got this mark on my forehead. I will be willing to sacrifice to any celestial beings up there if you come down and give me knowledge of how to go to war against heaven. So they come down atop of Mount Hermon. Again, its coordinates is the 33rd degree parallel. This is why there's 33 degrees in Freemasonry. And this is where the origins of the Nephilim started, is that they, they said, I'm going to give up my celestial body or title, and I'm going to come down here and rather have procreation. And then they have their own kids. So I think one thing we have to bear in mind is just like as mankind has the ability for um, free will, there is also free will in a celestial heavens. Um, and I think there's there's realms and there's tears that God allows and permits. And again, so when you're saying, why does God allow that? Well, let's go back to Genesis 6-4. They're called the sons of God. Sons of God came down. And later on, like I was explaining on Cryptid Warfare and uh, Josh Monday, is that later on we get in the New Testament, behold what manner the love of the Father that we Christians should be called the sons of God. I have a very strong suspicion that Christians now that Christ has come down here, is that we're going to have access to take over where they failed. It says they proved they were showing, they were holding the torch for me, whereas every these other ones wanted to fall and take pleasure. They wanted the existence of a temporary existence. Um, so I think God allows and permits the spiritual warfare um, with, like, control of the elements and the controls of the minds and the hearts of men. And this is where we see with, like, Job, where the plagues hit him, and then you, again, you, when they were stealing his flock, so you had the hearts and minds of men to influence them to go in that territory and take Job's um, possessions. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, like you were saying, he's he's a magician, and that would tap into alchemy with Hermes and the occult's messiah. Um, I, I, I'm not for the rest of you guys. I, I delve into Nimrod's religion. I kind of figure out who the occult messiah is based off of digging into the symbolism. And they are in love with alchemy. They want the signs of the heavens, like it's spoken of in Jeremiah 10, 2. They look to the stars. It's a star-based religion. Um, even the whole concepts where we get dome earth, like when they say astronaut, think about that word for a second. If you broke it down etymology-wise, astro, meaning of star, not, as in nautical, water. Angels were known as star walkers. They walked on water. Luke Skywalker, that's where that's influenced from. When Christ came down here, he was walking on water. He was walking over the spirits of the fallen Nephilim, another son of God, sons of God. So there's very powerful symbolism. And I think the occult is looking as, oh, we have this knowledge from heaven, but this alchemy that we can turn liquid into gold, that we don't have to worry on creator God. And that's where you get the phrase. That's actually a Hermes phrase, not Baphomet, but their equivalents as, as above, so below, I am the highest achievement of mankind that will ever will be. And they've kind of manipulating the world to have this antichrist perspective. 
and mindset that that's honestly what Lucifer thinks about is that I can become or ascend to become like the God most high. That makes any sense. You know, it's a lot to unpack. No, I think it does. I I think one of the things that um, I, I find interesting is that you don't necessarily have to be the muscle in the room if you're the brains. Yes. Right. Yes. You can have a tremendous amount of power, but if we get into this nuanced idea of what do we mean power, you know, are you the guy that shows up like the rock talk about, can you smell what Lucifer (laughs) is cooking? You know, finally Lucifer has come back to having to rule. Are you that dude? Or are you like Vince McMahon sitting back, you know, pulling strings, having contractual legal pool? where you don't necessarily have to go through as in being powerful in the forceful sense, but you can be powerful in a legal sense. I think that scripture presents a both and scenario, but I think our culture has morphed it into a supernatural force type of, of power. And I don't think that's the type of power that Lucifer really has. I think most of it is, as I think Christopher was alluding to, more contractually driven through the trade. I think he's incredibly intelligent in a very demented way. And I think that yeah. being a, as the scripture says, being the the chief or the, uh, the anointed chair of the covered in that position, I think there was a lot that he saw and a lot that he put together. And I think he, he exploited that to his own selfish ambition and his own selfish means. But I don't think that necessarily makes him the most powerful in the, I hate to bring Disney into it, but, in, you know, that classic Aladdin scene, you know, I have all cosmic power. <laughs> I think that's kind of, you know, what we imagine when we ask the question. And I think he's got a tremendous amount of influence, but I love what Chuck Missler said. And I try to constantly remember this as, as wide as we can imagine our reality. I think the one thing we have to remember is that we live in a bounded reality on both ends, on the, on the, uh, on the macro side and on the, the micro side. And I think the same is, is I think it's a universal principle that is extrapolated out through God's entire created order. So even if Lucifer is extremely powerful or Satan, if he's extremely powerful, he's still bounded. And what does that bounded power look like when it's measured against unbounded power of the creator God? It's a really weird dynamic because I think we're looking at it from our perspective. Every angel we meet, I don't know if any of y'all have met any. I have not personally. I haven't cracked any eggs and saw any angels show up next to me because I think I'll probably shoot one. I don't know how that's going to go. But I imagine. What, you you met one, Drew? I've seen one. It turned me white. It turns you white. So you were black before? I I was so scared it turned me white. Oh, that type of white. I was like, okay, I didn't know if you started out like me. And then you, after your angel experience, you was no longer like me. I was like, we'll talk about that offline. <laughs> he became like Noah. He became like Noah, like Noah after. Right, right. <laughs> Drew, Drew lost his shine after 41 yeah. days up there. 40 days he what was happens? bright. 41 it was off. But That's no, I, you could meet the lowest ranking angel as a human being, and they're going to be considered immensely powerful in comparison to us. So we don't even have like uh, an angel scale to measure when we're talking about like how powerful is he? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the incremental levels are, but if we're talking about all power, he, it's not even a dot 
on the spectrum when it's compared mm-hmm. to God. And if he was, I think that we might not be here. But I think the reason that we are here is because, again, we live in a bounded reality. There is only so much authority or influence or quote unquote power that the enemy seems to be able to have. And scripture speaks to that right now. Evil's not able to run unrestricted. There is a restrainer that is operating. There are universal laws that are in place that do not allow evil to run freely unmolested on its way. Now there's a time coming where that will happen and it will, unfortunately it's going to destroy everything until Christ steps back in because that's the nature of evil. It's a weird question to ask. And I think we almost do ourselves an injustice when we ask it the the direction. It's almost like a funnel. I think when we ask the question, we're at the small end of the, of the funnel looking out, going, how powerful is he? And I think the better one is if we reverse that and we looked at all power and we're zooming in on this 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 angel that has a small amount of it. He doesn't really have a corner on the market when it comes to cosmic power. Our God does. And so whatever power he has, as he he mentions, it may be from a human perspective, it is truly limited. And I think he knows that, which is why the contracts are so important. The contracts help create a force multiplier so that he comes across as being immensely powerful. I think that's the whole point of the satanic and a control matrix because he's not sovereign. He has to try to replicate that whole attribute of, of the Godhead. Even when he came up to Christ, when Christ was on was on the planet, you kind of have this Messiah-like essence about you, dude. I'm not quite certain you giving off this, this Messiah vibe, but if you really were, I got to put you through some tests. We need to run some experiments. I need to see if you really are this Messiah. I mean, you're a thorn in my flesh right now, but I need to know if you that person I've been hearing about. Well, if you was all powerful, dude, you would have known. You wouldn't have had to go through the tricks. You would have known by the trade who you were dealing with. In fact, scripture even says if, if Lucifer had known what he was doing, he wouldn't have even crucified Christ. So it again gives an indication that his power is limited. Even when he went to God, the only thing he could do to get the thing with Job happening was to get God into a, a, I don't want to say semantical, but a philosophical discussion. You know, he couldn't just necessarily go touch Job. He had to challenge God. We're like, okay, look, God, if you did this, I'm quite sure he's going to do this. All right, we'll test out your theory. But why not actually go and do what you wanted to do to Job in the first place? You couldn't. You had to go get permission. It shows, again, that you're limited in power. And that they're only, even in that exchange, the only real power that Lucifer would have had would have been missteps on Job's part, which would have created legal loopholes that he could exploit. This talks to the intelligence that that Lucifer, the devil, whatever kind of nomenclature you want to go with on this darker side of things, the true intelligence and the power that he he wields, because we -hmm. look at the idea of the fallen ones, those were god-like entities, so much so that they created the idea of these pagan gods across the ancient world. Their sons became the men of renown, the demigods, the, the Hercules, the Jason and the Argonaut type of stories. They had unimaginable power compared to humans. So even though they are possibly 5, 10, 15 steps removed from God's ultimate creator power, they are still something I don't think we can truly underestimate. But 
Lucifer has, I think he's got this ability where he's, he's very suave, he's sophisticated, he's debonair, he's all these things that I think are more dangerous than what you would have for the stereotypical Disney bad guy, which is all powerful and destructive. When it comes back to those ideas of contracts, could you possibly imagine, just go through this thought process with me, people. What if the devil put a contract into the terms and conditions of everyone's Apple iPad or their Netflix account? Because who honestly reads those terms and conditions? What if it's all (laughs) the way through some hidden away that, yeah, your immortal soul goes to to Lucifer in the end? Imagine if those are the types of contracts this guy's tricking people on in the modern day. He doesn't need to be an all-powerful demigod on top of a mountain throwing lightning bolts. He's just using modern-day entertainment. Mm-hmm. I liked the quote by Paul J. Bucknell in The Devil and His Powers, this book. Um, he said he has his own power by virtue of how God made him. Satan was the angel with the highest power and beauty, but he also has stolen power over man and earth originally given to Adam. And so that's important because we look at that. It's not, it's not legal, right? Per se, God allowed it still, but it wasn't what it was supposed to be. And so it does say we have to remember he's maybe perfectly made highest position, very beautiful, super wise, but he's also self-deceived about his own wisdom and beauty, therefore giving him the little bit of that Achilles heel that we can get through to not that he doesn't deceive. I'm not saying that for sure. He does. And talking to um, the ex Satanist that I did when I had Zachary King on, he is the one that signed many of the deals for these musicians that we talk about back in the day. And he said, of course they don't read that fine Netflix print. They didn't care. Right. Not in that moment. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it works that way. Uh, you know, the, the spiritual realm appears to be very, very specific and legalistic. And so I, I would not be surprised if there are, uh, you got to look at the real fine, fine print. Not the one that's written yes. in ink, the one that's written in blood. Check, check that fine print out and then <laughs> make sure, sure that, that. <laughs> you that you are right with that. I really like how you tapped into that, Jason. That's uh the Lamb's Book of Life and the, the the rules that are being played. I really like how you brought the legality aspect mm-hmm. to it because I think that's something. Thank you. Especially, yeah, of course. Um, I, especially with spiritual warfare, I think I had somebody ask me today, like, if I believe in the rapture. I said no, and I'm only stating that because of Revelation six for the heads of the saints and two, he, the Antichrist makes war against the saints at some point. And I think this is where it taps into also the sleeping bridesmaids at some certain point, because like I always use the analogy, you you have God's word, which is the lamp unto your feet, as it states in the Psalms. But a lot of people don't understand what the Holy Spirit is. And so they tap into this rapture extraction thing and they're like, well, I get out before it gets really bad because I got to avoid, pre, you know, tribulation uh, voucher here. And that, mm. I think that puts a bit of a a, a dampener upon our spiritual warfare and how adamant we should be and how vocal we should be, how we should be standing like a Daniel or Meshach and uh, Abednego and whatnot when we're going up against our governments, because we just say, well, it's not, I'm going to get out before it gets really bad. I tried to bring that person to church. It's not my fault. They didn't listen to the pastor and it's taking away the individuality of getting down and washing feet ourselves and we're supposed to be emulating Christ, not necessarily all the disciples, but Christ himself. We have 
all these analogies, parables, and stories. Not everybody's going to understand. That's why he says it in parables. You have the Holy Spirit in you. That's now discernment. That is the oil in your lamp. And a lot of sleeping bridesmaids don't understand this concept because they're throwing their responsibilities. They're putting everything. They're putting all their chips on the rapture as opposed to taking responsibility themselves. And I think this would tap into it, like Jason's saying, you eventually get to heaven and you're the servant that wasn't using any of your talents. I, you buried it. Everybody else tried to at least do something with what I gave them as best they could. And you hit it. Get out. Depart from me. I never knew you. It's very scary because he's not saying that phrase to a bunch of atheists. He's saying it to people that are allegedly calling themselves Christians. And personally, I would like to classify some individuals that aren't waking up. They're not seeing it. They're putting so much emphasis on a holy land and a holy people that they're not seeing you are the new temple. When that veil was ripped in two, you're now indwelled. Go forth. Be that temple. Bring it. Go on the road like Christ did. And a lot of us, are, or a lot of them, they're just, I'm a cubicle Christianity. I don't need to go out and do anything. I'm, I'm happy right where I'm at. Brandon, would you say by extension, if we're going down the idea of this legalese and the contracts that exist within the realm of what Lucifer can and can't do, what lines he can step over, which he can't, where which lines he straddles and kind of pushes the boundaries, would you say that people in our faith a lot of the time feel like they're waiting for like the heavenly police force to intervene if, if one of these contracts is pushed or something is deemed illegal according to spiritual uh, spiritual contract that we're awaiting something d- more divine than us to intervene on our behalf when really if we're living as jesus did we can push back and we can challenge ourselves i would say i would say to an extent um i know i had one lady on a, under a youtube thing and i was saying um that i didn't believe in the rapture and she says well you're then you're going to be going to hell and you're going to be experiencing the tribulation and I was like, well, I would hope for a rapture, but I'm not putting my faith in the rapture. I still have faith in Christ's son and God himself. And I think some individuals are somehow putting the promises of scripture, like they're they're tainting it to make it feel comfortable. They're they're dumbing it down. They're becoming lukewarm. And Christ and God and Christ Christ and God, they're they're saying no. I need you to be adamant in the faith. I need you to be as, you know, like a lion roaring back at the lion that's seeking to devour the sheep. We're meant and called to lead. We're meant to get down and help our fellow brothers and sisters. Like, I, um, if I could use this analogy as well, that's one of my life verses is Luke twenty two thirty two. is right after, I believe he says the phrase, upon this rock, he's pointing at Herman, where it all happened, where people are now looking to a celestial rebellion mindset says, upon that rock, I'm going to build my church. And then he, you know, get behind me, Satan, he says to Peter. Then he says, but I have prayed for you, Peter, that Satan desires to sift you like wheat. But when you are ready, strengthen the brethren. And then we get, what do we get later on? He, he denies Christ three times. Fast forward a little bit more. And he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Three times to him. He says, you're ready now, buddy. I know you had a little moment where it was getting a little bit, you know, hard for you, but now you can go around and strengthen the sheep yourself. You're ready to fish for men, now fishermen. And I think that's a metaphor 
that we're really not seeing and applying in the Christian walk. I think that's something where we now just like, oh, goody two-shoe Jesus, and we don't take on the, we're supposed to put on the armor of God because we don't understand what the Holy Spirit is. I think that's honestly where a lot of people claiming to be Christians are actually infusing with the synagogue of Satan, and they don't even see it. And I think this is where we have to also understand that what was going on back in his day, he had the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the bumblebees. (laughs) Now we got the Catholics, the (laughs) Lutherans, the such and so's. It's all rebooted. Old Testament, New Testament, there has to be a reason for the Savior to return because we're getting it all goofed up again. And only the ones that are like, if you're not emphasizing your denomination and your building, you actually might be starting to emulate Christ. Well, this is where Satan, Satan, he interferes with the transmission of truth. And this is what I see, for a lack of a better word, the huge amounts of denominations just in Christianity alone. We see it in other faiths, but in Christianity, the huge division across what fundamentally is one faith could very well be construed as the transmission of truth and the placing of false believers within the church. And the idea that as Christians, we should live by his example and preach the truth. But how often are we overcome by societal norms, um, how we're perceived by our peers, what's considered to be political correctness, things that we know fundamentally are true in our souls, our hearts, and of God, but we're afraid to. It's almost like society's being built in this manner, that satanic control matrix that Christopher and Jason put so articulately. It's in there to muddy the waters to make truth the mistruth or just have enough of the truth there to make it palatable for people like these these weekend Christians who attend their church, listen to their pastor and think they're all done and sorted. They feel comfortable in that, but they yes. feel uncomfortable in in respectful challenge and conversations in the real community. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that makes the, the lies of Lucifer so dangerous is the fact that so many of us want to hear them. Right. We want to believe we want we want to shed our responsibility. I think uh, uh, it was Rod Dreher in his book, Live Not By Lies, calls it therapeutic theology because we only want it where it feels good. We only want it to relieve our, you know, our pain, our stressors. And I mean, we see it all through um, the the mixing of the the pagan world and our different denominations. Like, um, you know, I've heard some people argue that. You know, Jesus was for socialism because we're supposed to take care of the poor and the needy, right? But it's 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 just like you were saying. It's it's not. We don't um, pawn off that responsibility to any other group. We as individuals have the responsibility to take care of those people. It's not give them the government's money. It's give them your money. Give them your food. Give them your time. Give them your love. And then I think that also plays into this authority piece because the Bible tells us that we have been given authority over the works of the enemy. Why would we be given that authority if we weren't expected to do something with it? We're not just supposed to sit back and say the prayer, you know, angels deal with it. I'm just, you know, I'm going to go to church on Sunday and have lunch and everything's going to be hunky-dory. No, we... everybody knows why you were given the authority is so that you can get your <laughs> heavenly XP points up to a certain level so that you can show your friends like, look what I've got now. I hit the authority 3.6 level. I'm dope. And then you sit back and look at it. That's, everybody knows that. It's Christopher not doesn't have to worry. The 
What is there? Exactly. A rank, is there is there a ranking system? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and you want to get to that yeah. gold level? <laughs> I'm trying to get to that gold level. You know, I got to stop messing Christopher's with these Christopher's on Nephilim. People. Yeah, Christopher's on Nephilim <laughs> level. He doesn't have to worry about it. <laughs> oh, <boy>. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, listen. I, I wanted to circle back. I love these conversations, but it, they're hard because yeah. there's like all these little points that you want to go to. Brandon, I thought you were saying something a moment ago that was really interesting. Not to get into a, a discussion on the rapture, but mm. one of the things Christopher and I have talked about several times is even though we are, we, we do endorse the idea of the rapture, the problem that we've seen many times with people who endorse it is this escapist idea, which is I don't have to do any work. I don't really have to suffer. Yes. I can escape tribulation. I can escape trial. I just need to coast through and hit that finish line and then I'm safe. Cross the plan, you know, like, bro. It, it, it's it's so problematic, yes. <laughs> right? Right? It's so problematic. Now, here's what's interesting. Let's say that the rapture isn't really what what we've been taught in the West, right? If you mm. if you ascribe to this escapist idea, you're screwed. You you really don't help anybody next to you. You don't take any ground away from the enemy. You're not really a factor within this spiritual war. You're just sitting, wishing, praying, hoping that you know nobody sees you. That's a problem. But let's say it is true. Let's say if we go back and we look at scripture, we got at least two accounts where people appear to have been raptured. One is with Enoch, the other is with Elijah. Both of those dudes was actively involved in one walking with God and taking spiritual, uh, not just authority over their environments, but they were in direct conflict with the forces of darkness in their respective operational fields. If the rapture is true and these are the two indicators we got of it, then I think people ought to be functioning from that perspective, which would nullify the escapist idea. You yeah, could that, that's, really, if I, if sorry, just for a second, but that's one yeah. of the two things. If I did tap into rapture, it would be those who are actually awake, and then you get the people like in the you know left behind series who's like, "I'm the pastor. How did I get left behind?" Right, right. So, but sorry, then, yeah, this, no, no, you're good. You're good. This plays in then to our question of how much power does Lucifer have? Because if you take those two accounts just as case studies, what do we see happening with those two dudes? We see a lot of conflict, but we see a lot of taking it to the enemy's throat. You got Enoch who walked with God from just from whatever. I don't know what happened in that man's life. I don't know what he saw go down for one day. He was just like, yo, this ain't cutting it, God. I'm going to be with you 24-7. Because uh, Azazel <laughs> is tripping. Yeah, that's about the 33rd thousand baby I've seen executed. I just don't think this is the right way to go. 33rd. Yeah, 33rd thousand. <laughs> I'm right. just getting pictures of Enoch in my mind running around like a John Wick type of character back in the day. Spiritually, yeah. You're, you're, making, you're, you're making him look like that's some awesome. kind of secret agent. <laughs> I'm just saying, he walked with God. Like, that was the thing that when he showed up. Is that Enoch? Hey, you know I walks with God, right? You best watch what you say, because if you come at me, I will be no more, and neither will you. I mean, that's a pretty come at me, bro. Wide, right? You know what yeah. I mean? But you got Enoch. <laughs> he he does what he does, um, and then you have El- Elijah, and Elijah's taking it to the prophets of Baal. He's 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 messing up Jezebel's thing. He's, there's a lot going on around him. That's crazy, especially if you imagine it from a spiritual perspective. Then let's say we we take Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene. Everywhere Jesus goes, he, (laughs) 
He incites problems. You know, for a dude that's credited as being peaceful, he pisses a lot of people off. Like a lot. <laughs> He's just flipping tables, whipping people. You know what I mean? Right. 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 Like, okay, okay, Drew, check this out. I often tell people I got a BS and BS, right? When they ask, like, what's my degree? I got a BS and BS. I can piss people off pretty easy. Jesus shows I have I have never had anybody want to want to stone me. My mom threw a shoe at me, and that's about as close as it came. Nobody's <laughs> lined me up. It was like we throwing stones at this dude for the last three things he said. That's the level of pissed off at this that Jesus would take with people when he would start calling people out. You know, you say somebody is like a brood of vipers. First off, I don't know what a brood is, but you're not just gonna call me a snake, Jesus, like that, and say I'm with a whole bunch of them. That's not right. I don't like that. That's not very Christ-like, Lord. He messed with people's That's theology. Nice. <laughs> right. He messed with their theology. He messed with the spiritual forces that were empowering them. And then he dealt with territorial governmental agencies that were supporting the spiritual activities of that environment. That's not nice stuff. That's a lot of of that's a, a, a lot of conflict and directed um spiritual activity that's happening against the kingdom of darkness, right? And this is the model that he said it. So, all right, why did I go through all of this? Well, we're asking the question, how powerful is Lucifer really? If we follow the footsteps of what Jesus is showing us, however powerful he may be, and to give it a nutshell answer, I think Lucifer is probably less powerful than we think, well, more powerful than we think, but less powerful than he claims. I think that's probably about where where it is. But even if that's the case, the authority and power that, that Jesus has given us, which is vested in him and it's coming from him, is way more concentrated and impactful on the spiritual spectrum. And Jesus demonstrates this time and time again when he goes in and upsets the territory of spirits over where he's at. If we follow that, then we get to do the same thing. So if Satan is really powerful, it's only so much, and we're given quite a bit of authority to respond back. We get the noisy cricket, in the words of Will Smith. Now, most of us don't want to shoot that one. <laughs> we want the big gun. So since we don't like shooting the noisy cricket, we put it down. Then we don't think we got a lot of power because you never shot the noisy cricket. Now, once you do, there's like, oh, snap, this thing really works. Oh, snap, prayer really works. Oh, snap, casting out demons really work. Wait, demons are real? Yeah, they're real. You know, you really start seeing, hey, there really is a a strong, concentrated measure of power that's been afforded to us, and that power grows. Why? Because part of what humanity was designed to do was to actually be an outpost for the kingdom of heaven and to take the authority that God invested in us and expand it out into the cosmos to bring about order that Satan had undid by inducing chaos and to reinstitute the kingdom of God throughout the cosmos. So we must have a fair degree of power at our fingertips and that spiritual kingdom must not like us stepping in and messing with what they're doing, which makes me think, Hmm, maybe he's not as powerful as he says. Here's one of the greatest tools I think he has with us. One is misconception, which he exploits. Two is fear. I'd almost argue that on a pound for pound level, I think fear is more powerful than Lucifer is. If, if fear is an entity and you had to measure them out, because it seems like everything we deal with is fear-based. Even God had to say perfect love casts out perfect fear. Wasn't perfect love cast out perfect evil? 
Like, what's this thing with fear that we all seem to live by and get exploited in our lives? I mean, to After Jason's that, point, 2020 would have never happened if not. Sorry. You know what I'm saying? Fear seems to be a huge thing that's exploited. Almost like I think that might be the muscle behind Lucifer. The other thing is death. Well, well hang on, on before Chris, you go into that. Explode. It's interesting then. Well, no, it was just an interesting idea. You know, if, if that is, you know, like you said, the muscle, then every mm-hmm. time like a good guy shows up, his first response or first statement to humanity is fear not uh-huh. yeah, dealing yeah, with the muscle before they give the message. That is crazy. Huh? That's kind of dope. I ain't think about that. So it's like, it, then, like you, can't, you can't lift a lot of your muscles unless you have your mind, as Heidi will attest, definitely with her medical background. <laughs> is you, you can't yes. do something. And, and I think the same would apply in the metaphoric sense of the spirituality. You don't know what you could be. And I'm not saying like ascension thing. I'm saying spiritually, unless you have Christ and the Holy Spirit, you don't understand the power that you have. If you have the mm-hmm. the, the faith of the, of the the grain of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. And I think that's something we're not, again, we're like, oh, that's a cute story. We walk out of church because it's just a checkbox. It's not something where we're being fed. Now, I personally look at church as something like this, where we're having a conversation or I'm actually being fed. I'm fueling my tank so I can keep going up down the road. It doesn't matter about a building. Mm -hmm. It matters about where two or more are gathered. Um, And I think a lot of people aren't tapping into that, you know, so therefore the enemy He's taking the lukewarmness. So when we get something like 2020, we see the churches tapping into the tax credit churches where they're like, well, we want to be in good standing mm-hmm. with the police in our community. And we, we don't want to cause a ruckus. And it's just like, so why are we wearing a mask, an emblem of death and fear right. when we right. celebrate a savior who conquered death? Or why are we standing? I heard, I heard <laughs> many yeah. preachers who said it was Jesus vaccine. Oh, boy. it was what? given by Jesus. It was his. You know that that's crazy. I'm going back it, to the Mormons. The Mormons told everybody to get it and stood up in their church and told them and all their children to run right down and get it and be good saints. But isn't it that, ironic? That, isn't isn't it ironic that we had so many people that can't believe in an a visible God could believe in an invisible virus? Of a break virus. down the word. A virus that is only like three foot above the ground. I derailed everything. Sit down and rest and fine. And even you break down <laughs> the word of virus, V-I-R means a, a man in Latin, ver, vir, mm-hmm. and then you get us. It's a fear of us. We're afraid of ourselves. Well, and then we put on masks and stand six feet apart it's, like yes, in the OTO yes. oh. and the OTO yes. rituals. Let's do that. Yeah. Well, even, and even then. Break down the word etymology for vaccine. It means of or from a cow. And you have a certain group that calls us goyim, which means cattle. Do you understand, folks? Mm. You've been played. You've been had. (laughs) But it only works because we're afraid. Right? Yes. And this whole idea. Jason, this fear thing you've tapped into, I think is really going to tie back to something I want to bring up in our last topic of today. So I'm actually quite excited that you brought that up. Does anyone else have anything to finish off this topic point of how much power Lucifer truly has? I think Jason, you summed that up really well in your last statement there. You nailed it. That's cool, Drew, because I got nothing else to add, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. In closing closing (laughs) of this one, 
Lucifer's powers in the heavenly realm and on earth are great and should not be underestimated. Since his instigation of evil on earth, Satan has been named the prince, god, or ruler of this world and realm. He is the enemy of God and truth and does everything he can to tempt individuals and larger groups of people. He leads the world astray. Satan accomplishes this by various means, including appealing to man's pride, interfering in the transmission of truth, and placing false believers within the church. We must do all we can and be eternally vigilant. Are there are they genuine portions of truth within our religion, in our faith? This is where our discernment comes into it. Even with what we're presented with at our church on weekends or for family members or friends, we still have to have that air of discernment in the back of our mind. What truth rings true for us and what rings true of God? Our next topic. Does Lucifer know he actually lose? This is something that I've kind of seen people sit on the fence with or be adamantly opposed either way. Does Lucifer know he's going to lose? Are we asking this seemingly logical question? Does it have to be something that's a yes, a no, or an or? If he does know he's going to lose, why does he persist? Is it out of some form of spite, a means of destroying and defiling as much of God's creation as he possibly can while he can? Or does he believe he can possibly truly win this? And I love that question. All I can hear is, Mr. Anderson, why do you persist? <laughs> I think I think it's so 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 um so interesting, a very nuanced question. Because you can let's say Lucifer knows he's going to lose, right? And it, you can only get that from way of Lucifer's uh Lucifer's familiarity with the word of God and whatever things have actually been written as well as anything that's been spoken in the heavenly realm to angels that we just haven't heard. Let's say he knows that. That's not the real question. The question is, does he believe it? Now, that's the scarier Hmm. thing because the other day, you know, God pointed out to me, you do realize that, that Satan and all those demons and all of them, they know more scripture than you do. And I was like, wait, 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 say what? Oh, no, no, they know it. No, can quote it to you ad nauseum. So just knowing it doesn't work. What's the difference? They don't believe it. They don't act on it. Belief is super important. I think he may know what the scripture says. I don't think he believes it. I think that's half the contention. I can still win. And I also don't think you can be so self-deceived as we're talking about and him really walk away thinking, you know what? This is probably the one instance in all of creation that that Yahweh is telling the truth. I am going to lose. I don't think he believes that. I think he's really well, working why, towards, yeah. I got a couple angles right here. Y'all ain't synced it. It's about to work. We just got a couple things. We got, we got down to eight people last time <laughs> and the plan almost worked. Technically, God cheated. I'm figuring that's how he gets the troops riled up. <laughs> cheated. Okay, we was almost there. So we execute this one more again. We gonna be okay and we can win. This time, we got the people's helping us. We've got 5G. We've got the inter- We got the internet. We've got all these things man is doing that's gonna help us. They're on board. We gonna win, troops. I'm imagining he's gotta believe it. Else, what are you doing? Like, how are you going against the most? First, you'd have to convince yourself that the most high is not the most high. You'd have to wake up however you imagine when you created, when you you were created and I won't say born, but when you self-awareness, you know, you looked around and you was like, well, I'm a spirit. And then there's this one over here talking about worship me and he's a spirit. 
I don't quite see what the difference is between us. We both spirits. He just must have evolved before me. I think he self justifies it as he's not the most high, the most higher, and it's just a deviation of where the level of height is. Uh, th- there could be I, that, I, but uh, you know, yeah. it's funny. He said that he didn't want to elevate his throne to the highest part. He just wanted to be equal. So I think he realizes there is some limitations. Again, we were talking about being bounded. But I think his claim to everything else is I might not be as strong as Yahweh, but I'm better than Yahweh because Yahweh created all of this and it went into chaos and all of that. But if you follow me, I can bring some order out of this and we can really evolve and rise up to be our truest selves. And I think that's yeah. what he believes. C- could I tap onto that? Yeah, yeah. Because the Holy Spirit was hitting me with some stuff as well. And I, I was I was I was thinking, yes, um, to an extent, he does know he's going to lose, but he's a massive cognitive dissonance he's in denial ah as is most of his followers on earth are well you know Mm -hmm. you know what about god oh i could become like a god if i just you know get that chakra kundalini whatever um well it goes back to being self it says one of the things in that list i gave earlier with with the quotes that i gave from that book that he is self-deceived yes so this is not not a big surprise like he yeah, he doesn't have it's like he has no ability to see what's right in front of him. It, it, it's like Stockholm himself. syndrome. He he he's so full of himself and this ideology, he doesn't see the other side. That's why he hates the followers of Christ because they're pointing back to the creator and he's like, "Well, I want them to follow me. What what is this deal here?" It's the um, emperor's new clothes. He's yeah. the, right. The and this is why he, Sorry, Brent, he's a metaphysical manifestation of the ego. Yes. And I think that's why he needed he needed Nimrod's son to be his vessel, because that's kind of how Nimrod's son perceived himself as or Hermes, whatever you want to go by with the Emerald Tablets. Very full of himself, saying I'm, you know, I'm basically indwelled with the sun. Like you break down the word pyramid, you basically get pi, which is fire, so pyromaniac, think like that, ray or ra, which is of the sun, and mid in your midst so you get basically when you break down the word the fire of the sun is in your midst and since he saw himself as like you know i'm just like my dad nimrod i i am basically nimrod 2.0 they believe in regeneration reincarnation hence christmas trees that's what they believe in um the pine cones that's why it looks similar to the the pineal gland that's why pine cones were given out before hearts for valentine's day they believe this concept that they can get rebooted Whereas Christ, he's like, you've already seen me like this before. See, I died, but I came back. Those other guys with this regeneration thing, I just proved them frauds. So to tap back to what we were saying is like, I think somehow because of this fear, it's faith versus fear. And he thinks that if he can weaponize man, God's most beloved creation, um, it'll somehow balance out where he comes from. And I think... Personally, like he, like uh, Jason was saying, break down 5G. 5 is penta. Gram means God ram. So again, God ram would be equally to Baphomet. Why do we speculate that it was an apple in the Garden of Eden? Well, when you cut an apple in half, it ends up having five points to it. So it's the pentagram, sigil of Ashtaroth, Nimrod's wife. And you can look that up in a Google search. It's not going to just be pent. You'll find sigil of Ashtaroth is Nimrod's wife. So when we have that, the sigil of man on Baphomet's forehead, a.k.a. another variant of Nimrod's son, Tammuz, and he's sitting there 
with this 5G mentality is like, is it possible that these fallen giants, like the angels, what they want to do, they want to give their kids bodies back. So when we see all these mountains that are frozen and whatnot, and Christ says the phrase, um, if I did not speak, the rocks would cry out in praise. Why? Because these fallen giants, they want their bodies back, but they can't do that. Now, if you get mommy and daddy let loose from under the river Euphrates and people are consenting a form, what does that ultimately do? You create a demonic possession grid. So now this giant can be the giant spirits can be like a Mr. Smith in a matrix. They can go from one person to the next via, you know, 5G and whatnot. Your cell phone. Where did we get um, the Internet from? Was from CERN. CERN is an equivalent of Osiris, the god of the underworld or the dead. And what does internet mean? Enter of a tomb or corpse, net, withheld, restrained, an animal or a person. So I think what they're trying to do is that they are focusing still on materialism of this realm, fleshly, body, whereas Christ is saying, I'm willing to give you their positions. Because if you accepted me, you're now the new adopted sons of God. So you can now get their robes. You now get their crowns. You now, because you held the torch for the bridegroom's return. So I think that's all. You're just talking too much, to. man. I, I see why you're going to get shadow, man. <laughs> so, sorry. Yeah, you, 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 you just tell them all the secrets. That's, <laughs> yeah, they're not going to like you on the 5G internet. Heidi will attest. Oh. I I, I crashed me. our podcast for 30 minutes. I hit my we phone. We had to finish it computer. on the phone. We had to yeah. finish the podcast via telephone. It was Well, I haven't had any of the technical difficulties I had today before. Oh. So I was blaming <laughs> Heidi. I think it's I need to me. redirect it. <laughs> That's funny. It's not me. But yeah, I think I it's also think interesting. Go ahead. But sorry, just real quick. I think it's interesting. Um, what is it? Second, I think it's second Timothy four, uh, that in the end times people will believe the doctrines of demons. Yes. And we hear that a lot. And it, a lot of times it gets, you know, the Christianese that we say it, but we don't know what it means. But I think that, um, one of the key takeaways there is that they believe this, like on some level, like it's their doctrine. They're not just trying to convince us of something they don't believe themselves. They've bought into this, you know, whether it is that Lucifer can win or, you know, we're putting all of our chips on this guy, like they believe it. And that's what they're trying to convince us to. Yeah. And I think Lucifer does to a fair degree. I mean, what is the point then in trying to invoke so much human participation? What's the point in using CERN to breach the divide that God has put up in order to allow the spirits that are incarcerated to have less bettered access to mankind? What's the point in getting mankind involved in this intergalactic or cosmic battle? Why, if you hate us so much, why go through all the effort? You probably hate us and you hate the fact that you need us. What do you need us for? Because of what we were created for in the first place, we're your access point. We're the way that you get to try to take back heaven. If you can dethrone Jesus, and he already proved he can die once, so maybe, maybe you can kill him again. We're not, we're not really sure on this. Speaking, you know, from enemy's perspective, I have, I'm quite sure Jesus is gonna win. But if you're trying to rally the troops, we might be able to to kill him again, and then we can install our own God man. We can install the, the replacement Christ. And since there are legalities that are in place under Yahweh's kingdom, we can show that, A, he's not all powerful because, well, he obviously 
died again and we won that one. Or we can make a judicial case against him to suggest that he wasn't righteous in the first place, where he should lose his right to rule because he's claiming that he is the only one that's righteous and worthy. And if we can create this off, you know, this illicit monstrosity life form, then we can also claim he's not the only one who can create. So then he should lose his claim as a creator guy. And so we'll get him on full technicalities across the board. We'll set up our own reality we can dethrone him he doesn't we don't have to follow his rules and we get to win and i think he genuinely believes it because he's got these plans in place trying to execute this and he just keeps getting ticked off at all the key points but scripture does say that he's going to get really close and i think that as he gets really close it it offers what's that word phrase christopher uses confirmational bias it's this idea that you know what? I'm starting to win. So I guess I really can win. We'll just keep mm. pressing this this forward and we're almost there. We'll we'll get it. I really think that's what he's acting on. I mean to cut you off, Hardy. Heidi, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was just saying, like, of course they're gonna rally with him. The troops will rally because the watchers have no other choice and they hate us anyways, because in the end days we will judge them. And they don't like that because we were just made out of dirt. And they probably think we're this in, incompetent little brother that was disgusting. And we're going, it says, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> they said we stink. John D, as you guys well know, said that we smell really bad. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, right. you know, they have to rally behind him. They, it's really the only hope they have. So. I liken it to he's been winning, like that confirmation bias. He's been winning for so long. He's got all his his pawns out and play on the chessboard, and he's about to make this Krasinski move that's going to win the absolute game, and he's so sure of himself. He's so bold. He's so arrogant. He thinks he's got it in the bag, and all it takes is one move from the opposition to topple the whole game. And at that point, right. I often think he's like the uh, the younger sibling who is losing at Monopoly, and they know they're going you to cheated. lose at last minute, so they flip the table. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mhm. Yep. So it, this That's becomes this idea. becomes another question though. At like if the devil knows he's going to lose or has an inkling but doesn't believe in in God's going to win in the end, is a greater question than what if if God knows everything that's going to happen or has ever happened, he knows everything, he's omnipotent being the creator God. Did he know Lucifer was his most favoured son that was going to rebel against him? If so, why create him in the first place? Could he not have put something in place that could prevent the rebellion or circumvent it in some way? Why did he allow it to happen if God knew it was going to occur? That's one of those questions that you hate getting asked in, like, you know, street Christianity like real quick, if your God's real, then why did he allow? It's a yes or a no answer, Jason. Quickly, five seconds. Five. Uh, for <laughs> the same reason your parents birthed you. I'm like, what are you talking about? Your parents, no, no, you no, that, screw that, up. That was a share concert and a 1975 XY Falcon. That's the reason why. Oh, I was why. Yeah, but but they knew you was gonna mess up. <laughs> even in the, but, even from the 1975 share Falcon, and here you are. You know what I mean? I think though, um, from a theological perspective. Uh, I I think that that question is very challenging and nuanced, but I think it also has an answer that I don't think most of us would like. And I think one of the biggest reasons for allowing 
the creation of Lucifer in the first place, even knowing that he's going to fall, was one, um, as a spirit that loves, your your greatest thing is to extend that love out. Like God had perfect relationship. He wasn't necessarily in need of additional things, but being giving as he was, he decided to create other creatures so that he could share that love and that perfect relationship with them, giving them free will. They did not have to choose. Now, knowing that they would choose does not put the accountability back on God for creating them. It still is a free will decision that that entity makes. Therefore, that entity is still responsible for what they choose. But I also think that there's a hidden reason for why allow Lucifer, not necessarily just to be created, but why allow him to continue. And I think that reason is to prove something to all of creation that needs to get hammered in. And it's the one thing that I think even today, even in the at the edge of modernity, we still wrestle with this question that is rooted back in antiquity. And that is whose way is better? Like, is it really your way, God? Or how about your way with a twist? I mean, you're, Frank Sinatra got it better, I think. You know, Jesus was talking about, I'll do it your way, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And Sinatra said, I did it my way. And we all seem to like Sinatra's version better than the one in Scripture. There's something about, about free will and about sentient beings that have to have that moment where we're willing to subject our will to a creator. I think the elect angels have decided that they are willing to subject their will to their creator, period. And I think the fallen ones decided we're going to do it our way. And the case is out right now. Does doing it your way really work? And I think God is allowing, I think part of the reason that God is allowing this to go is to prove the fact it doesn't work. You get evil gets its chance to make its case on the cosmic board in the cosmic courtroom. And I think he gets to show, look at all of these infractions, look at all the damage, look at everything that has transpired over the course of history. And it all started because one creature didn't want to do it my way, didn't want to work with me. So for everybody else watching, for everybody else to struggle with it, your way doesn't work. I'm struggling with that question today. Just me personally. I got that same question. Are you sure, God? Because I think if we made a left at Albuquerque, we would be a little bit better than being where we're at right now. Well, you Jess, know? And I, go ahead. Jess, you almost touched on something. Doing it your way, doing it my way. You forgot that the ancient Hebrews did it Yahweh. Like, <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, and ultimately, well, do you... Do you know what's sweet and delicious if all you've ever had is salty and bland or, or like, do you, uh, do you know, like, how would we know what we want if we had nothing to compare it to? And also what would we need saved for and salvation for if we had no, no reason, right? Like it goes back to that. Like there would be no reason for Jesus, if we didn't need saving, there would be no, there, we would not have any of this. And ultimately, just like with our kids, you want to have them choose the best things, but you also are there for them when they really foul it up. I mean, it, it's just part of it. I ultimately ask that question because it becomes like the time traveler paradox. 
if God had foreknowing of all the events that were ever going to come from his outcomes, why would he do it? I think that's a, a position a lot of new Christians find themselves in, either those that have come back to faith or have found faith for the first time. In reading it, why would a, an all-powerful, omnipotent being allow it to happen in the first place? And I think that's something that a lot of early Christians, even some that are being Christians their whole life, sometimes struggle and wrap, to wrap their mind around. And I don't think we can always have a defined human answer we're trying to understand with our tiny little monkey brains, essentially, <laughs> this what this creator God has done and what he's brought about. We mm-hmm. can't understand it. It's just like when you're a kid and your older siblings playing the PlayStation and they've got theirs plugged in and yours isn't. You're just pretending to play along. It's trying to understand <laughs> a broader thing that you don't yeah. quite get. Push all the buttons. Yeah, that's I well, said I, that I think, earlier. <laughs> I think that taps into, again, with Marvel. They're always throwing out subconscious messaging to us with portals and the Eternals and the series what if and i think that's one of the scariest questions that was ever asked by lucifer or azazel mm-hmm. is he asked that question what if what if i could replace you what if you didn't exist and i think that's kind of what god wants us to understand in when the metaphoric sense is if you ask that question you don't have the fear of the lord which is the beginning of wisdom you're going to ask that question what if I didn't need you. What if there wasn't a creator God? And that's why they create this whole counter narrative. So it leaves people bewildered and confused. Eventually we get to Pontius Pilate and Christ is standing before him. This guy has just gone through. He was like, he was having an aqueduct issue in, in his empire. He was having issues with a couple of revolts that went on. And basically Rome's going, yep. Dude, you're on your last morning. If you piss us off again, you're fired. And he's over here like, okay. So now he's getting this issue. Christ is coming up before him. And they're learning all all this stuff. And he goes, all right, buddy, you're not speaking. It's like, what is truth? Tell me. I I honestly want to know at this point because my life is on the line. My neck is on the line. I want to know what is truth. And it's standing right in front of him and he still can't see it. And it's one of the saddest questions of man, because a lot of people don't know this. While Christ was crucified, Pontius Pilate ended up offing himself a couple oh, of years he? later. Yeah. Didn't know that. And that this group. is interesting. Again, when I was when I'm when I was tapping into this other metaphor where why did Christ, when he was healing that one particular blind man, rub some spit and mud and rub it on the guy's eyes? Why did he do it in a face? Very intentional. It was a metaphoric thing that we're supposed to take away from that. He goes, what do you see? And like trees walking. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's break that down. What were trees affiliated with? Well, let's rewind back to the Garden of Eden. It's very highly speculated that the first word out of Adam's mouth, God breathed into him and he went, First breath of man. Every time you draw a breath, you're saying your creator's name. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. Because you're literally saying your creator's name with every breath you take. Now let's go over to what the occult believes or what Nimrod was going into and how they tapped into all these variant deities. Why was there groves under Ashroth and Baal? Why was there stars atop of the tree in Jeremiah 1 through 5? Because they believed just like God breathed air into us, that trees were a conduit to the celestial realm. So therefore that continued life because it gives us oxygen. So therefore our deity must be in there. So they're cutting it down. They're putting in idols. They're setting them up. 
and they're praying unto them. And God's like, I created the dang tree. Take that thing out. And they're over here like, regeneration, reincarnation, give us fertility, give us this. And God's like, are you serious right now? And if you don't want to believe that, well, again, break down one through five in Jeremiah. Verse two, be not like the heathens that look to the stars in the heavens and are in awe and fear of them. Stars. And again, angels are known as star walkers. So they're looking to these demons. And again, break down denominations. Demon, I, nations. Seminaries. Semiramis was Nimrod's wife. Hermeneutics. Hermes. It is all already infiltrated into our culture. The, the distraction of what if you had a substitute? What if we were wrong? What is truth? Can you answer me that? And I think if you have people bewildered, you end up coming down to two major religions in the world. One is desperately trying to keep all their followers asleep. The other one is trying earnestly to wake everyone up. I think you just broke someone's mind who owns a Christmas tree farm. <laughs> it's like, man, why have I got this Christmas tree farm? I'm putting in grapes, putting in something no else. No stars. Right? No stars. Zero stars. I understand. Zero but again, stars, stars of Hollywood. Tree. Why are they all shaped like pentagrams? Yeah. Why right. did Aleister Crowley say every man would be a star? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Why did Earth, Wind, and Fire talk about your shiny star? When you're not, oh, you're oh not. music is all about it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we can't yes. even get into it. We'll be here when all day. You wish <laughs> upon a star. Oh. Right. Are you praying to an idol? What? Whoa. Mm. <laughs> Druids, tree worship. It comes from somewhere, folks. Look into it. Now I'm going to have a problem with reading Rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All all of these things, they're everywhere. But ultimately, as a parent, don't you want your child to, like, choose the right instead of just you forcing it? Like, you could force it, but it doesn't mean nearly as much as your kid doing it without you there. Like, I think that has a big part of it, too. You know? I always look Sorry, at it I, as I didn't a mom. finish where I was going with the metaphor, but the, what Heidi just said, when he finished, he came back, he says, all right, you see men like tree walking. So, man, everybody's going to their giants, the fallen daemon, demons, demon dominations, call it what you will. It goes again. What do you see now? I can see again. That's what happens when you have me in your life. A lot of people are just walking around, going through the shadow, going through the motions. But when you have me, you're able to spiritually see clear. Now go forward and don't tell anybody, just live it. Mm-hmm. yeah guys very powerful mm-hmm. metaphors with why he did what he did very powerful. i don't know about christopher and jason's backstory but i know me and drew both got the mud taken out of our eyes so <laughs> Amen. i was definitely blind like i didn't even know yeah so i don't know what you talk yeah. about heidi i was born with 20 23 <laughs> vision you see it's real good said- well, you know I, I said mean? I didn't know. Yeah, they would see way far away. Can't see what's right yes. in front of me because of this log in my eye. But I'm going to tell you what. <laughs> I can see specs real good. I just said that to my son five minutes ago before we started oh, this. Like, yeah, I, he was complaining about his sister's room. And I said, take the log out of your own eye. What? Look at your room. <laughs> exactly. Back to being a parent. Yeah. I, I had a you couple know, points uh, that I wanted to kind of play off of what everybody else has said. Um, one kind of touches on what Heidi said is that we we want our children 
you know, or if you have children, you want them to choose instead of forcing them to do it. And there was a study, I, I haven't been able to find it since, but there was a, a group of sociologists that were looking at just almost as a, a thought experiment. Like it, if God chose this, or, you know, we know that God chose this, why? Like what are, as opposed to what else? You know, you have to ask that. If, if, if there's an option, what are the other options? And looking at free will and wanting to create a paradise that they actually concluded that there is no other way other than having a, a space where people can choose and a way to move them from that to a, a perfect space, that you can't have a paradise and have free will without these, these two spaces. So I thought that was really interesting just from a, a, a pure science perspective. Um, but the last thing I, I wanted to say just on this topic was that uh, Chuck Missler talked about how um, when, you know, so much of, of, what is it, Romans, I can't remember the scripture right offhand, but from the creation or from the beginning of creation, the invisible qualities of God, you know, are, yeah, are seen. So it's mm -hmm. easy to understand like his power. Right. And it's not that difficult to understand maximum power. Like you get a little bit and you just, you know, expand it to the nth degree and, and, and you get that. And we can kind of do that with knowledge, too. You know, we can understand infinite knowledge and those type of things. But how in the world do you express perfect love? Unless you have a space where your children, your most beloved creatures can spit in your face and choose everything that is against you and you still show up and you still say, father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Like if nothing else, this space allows us to see the, the magnitude of the love of God. That's dope, dude. Yeah. You never Thanks. appreciate a gift as much as you do something you've earned. I agree with you totally. It makes me yeah. wonder though, you know, people like to say, well, why would God do this if he knew X, Y, Z was going to happen? What I really want to know is I want to sit amongst the Godhead when there's nobody else around. He hasn't made anybody. And they're having a discussion. And I know one of them is going to sound like me. One of them is going to be like, I would, this does not sound like a good idea. Do you know <laughs> how much trouble this one dude you're going to create named Jay Spears is going to cause you? Do you know how much arguments is gonna be? Why we're all we're already perfect? Why do we need more folks? Don't make them. I'm telling you, this is. I'm not gonna say it's a bad idea. I'm just not sold. You haven't stop while you're ahead. Why. Stop right. while you're ahead. It's, it's me. It's you. <laughs> and it's the other one, the lamb. And he hasn't been slain yet because we ain't made a world. You've got the best thing here. <laughs> Just keep it with us, please. I'm begging you, don't make these things. We're we're I'm okay do it. now. <laughs> right, right. And he's over in the corner. I'm gonna do it. I'm about to make them. Do don't do it. I'm do it. Don't. It's a bad idea, <laughs> Lord. I mean, I'm with you a hundred percent, but it's a bad idea. Holy Spirit, will you please speak up? You always quiet. Say something. <laughs> he's gonna create. It's about to go crazy. God's I told me. you voices, Jason, in his yes. ear. Just going. Don't be making him a wife. Don't be making him a wife. I told you to go this way. I told you not to do that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I would love to have heard that conversation. You know they're just, just going to eat that period. apple, right? They're going to eat that apple. Why are you putting it there? Oh, yeah, they're going to yeah. eat that apple. Oh, there they go. I done told you. 
I told you, you never listen. You to know me. there was a told you so in that somewhere. We all know it. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what was the movie? Was it Tears of the Sun? For whatever reason, Jason's tirade took me back to that when they're trying to decide <laughs> if they want to save everybody or not. And they go through, and the I guy's like, look, is. I think we should just cut our losses and bounce. He's like, but I'm with you guys. I'm with you. <laughs> well, no, they also do that in Lone Survivor, where they're, you know, okay. they got the they got the uh, prisoner, and like, hey, we we kill him, we could probably live. And I'm like, listen to that guy. That's wisdom. <laughs> kill him and survive, because we're going to spend an hour and a half on the wrong story. It, but <laughs> he does it, right? He He makes us, and he goes through all of it. I think it's hard on this side of, of reality, as, as Brandon was saying, to get that full scope picture. I think it's different when you're in the dimensional reality of heaven. You can see things exponentially different than you see them now. You can feel them exponentially different. What was it about, as much as I've been you know, bantering on about don't make them, what was it that Christ was like, all right, I'll do it. Like, what did you see sitting in perfection next to God that you were willing to divest yourself of all the pleasures of heaven, go down into the muck, <laughs> be born in a pigsty, literally. Well, they used to call my room a pigsty. He was born in one. Then <laughs> you have to deal with all of the crap that comes on for 33 years only to get nailed through your hands that you created with the sensitivity level in your hands that you dialed up knowing full well it's going to hurt for some people that mock you while you sitting there butt naked on the cross. Why would you do it? Because he minority reported it to begin with doing like the hand swiping. He saw yeah, the possibilities. The exactly. <laughs> but to, but yeah. to your point, Drew, I think there was something more that he saw. And scripture talks about that for the, the glory that was laid before it. There's something else about the reality of being with God that transcends our, our, our earthly existence and reality. So it's kind of hard to ask those questions when it's, when it's contained just within our 70, 80 year perspective. Why would you even go through all of this? But sitting in the throne room of eternity, it probably looks very different. You know, there was a thing that I wasn't, Christopher, you can help me out with this. I think it was Scientific America that, that, that established the fact that we live not just in a bounded reality, but in a, in a, what is it? A holographic, a digital projection of a larger reality. There you go. Thank you. It takes two of us to run the Jaeger <laughs> that if that's true, then being with God is outside of that digital holographic reality. It is more true and more of a actual reality being with him than what we're existing right now. What we're experiencing right now, then, is a hard filter to see eternity through to ask, why would you do this? When you're sitting there with him and he's like, I know everything you felt. And I could, I could almost quantify it with ones and zeros, the degree of pain that you felt, the experiences. I know how many tears you cried. I know how many times your heart seized up when X, Y, and Z happened to you. I've got all the stats, all the numbers. Now take all of that quantified data inf and all that information, and let's compare it to this larger reality of you and me and these truths that you will never, ever have to be apart from. I think it puts our 70, 80 years on this planet into a totally different perspective. It's not to minimize the pain that we go through. It's not to, to minimize the heartache that we go through. But I think 
when you're dealing with the God who understands all of this, he also knows that he can take that heartache and turn it into something much greater than just heartache. He can take a life that experiences trauma and transform it from something that is just traumatic to something that's beautiful. He can take, he can take ashes and make something beautiful from it because he's a creator God. When you understand that, it changes the nature of the question. Why would you allow this to happen? Because what's happening is not all there is. I can do a lot with that. And what I can do can be immensely even better than just the experience of not having it alone. Well, that's a whole different thing when you're, you said pain. And the first thing that came to my mind as a nurse is when we talk to people and say, hey, rate your pain on a level of one to 10. 10 is the worst pain you've ever felt in your life. Well, today you might have a 10 because you had a splinter. I mean, if that's the only pain you ever knew, then it's going to be that. But if you can compare it to like, say you broke your arm, now your your perception has changed. And now say right. I had a baby at home naturally, which I did. Now my perception is completely different. Like screw the broken arm. That's a whole different thing. Like, so each level you understand a different thing. So when we are with the Lord, even all the things we are going through now, I don't think it will be what it is now. I think right. we'll see it different. Yeah. I like think so too. I mean, like having a conversation with a normie person at work, and that's a ten in pain. <laughs> <laughs> right? I used to be that person. Oh my gosh, Jason! I, I loved how you, you kind of brought into the the concept that through our physical mortal understanding, we can't truly understand what the spiritual realm, what it means to be beside God, because it's a completely different existence from what this is. Not that one's greater than the other, that we're here for a reason to experience these things. But in this realm, we can't truly comprehend. We've got the scriptures there. We have the word of Jesus and and the way he's tried to teach us. But ultimately, there's still things we will never fully understand until we're there. And that's something I think that a lot of people need to come to terms. There's not always going to be a black and white defined answer for everything. I think this is a great thing about this show is that we do ask those questions, but we try to unpack can it be answered? And if it can't, that's okay, because there's not always an answer to every question in this reality. I'm Which glad I'm now... you said that, Drew, because I, I would normally push back when I hear people say that. I think there are answers. I think the, the issue is, can we understand them where we're at? And I'm hoping that when we get to heaven, I'm like, God, why did this happen? Why did you do such and such and so? He'd be like, I'm glad you asked. Sit down for a minute. I'm going to show you some stuff. And then I walk away with it like, I'm not asking another question because that was like three <laughs> eons to answer that question. <laughs> Drew, I think there are answers. Drew, these right? are all I, the I, memes you posted online. But I do think there are answers. I just think that some of them we can't get here. We can't understand them here. And so I think that's part of the beauty of eternity is being there and being able to ask those questions. And ah, now I can tell you. I've waited. Now we could talk about it. I, I liken it to when you're teaching children, and it's a, it's a little mnemonic you use called the power of yet. Kids will often, as they're learning and they're developing, they're in, they'll encounter a challenge or something that they don't understand, and they'll quit. They'll give up. I can't do this. And you always come mm. in with the, the yet. I can't do this yet. You will get there. You will develop. You will grow. I think that development and growth for humanity is beyond the physical realm. We might have the right. questions now, but we can't have those answered until a later stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
on that note, I'm going to ask another question that possibly cannot be answered, just for fun. Is there a greater evil above Lucifer? Is it possible that Lucifer was not acting alone? Was he himself influenced by darkness of which has not been mentioned or not yet known to mankind? Mormons. <laughs> well, I, there was a, guy, a guy just standing next to Lucifer in a snazzy white shirt with a black tie and goes, hey, have you heard about this? Mormons. Have you? Yeah. yeah they, you know what's really they, cool? I, Rebellions. <laughs> they I knocked think, on um, his door. They were the door knockers. <laughs> I, I would say yes, because it that would that spirit of Antichrist, call it whatever you will. It's over the hearts and minds of men. And you get the verse from Isaiah 14, 14 is I can become like the God most high. He eventually says, goes down to the Garden of Eden. He's like, yeah, you could become like gods if you just take a bite of this. You know? Um, and even when you translate <laughs> the doppelganger, the Christ pagan doppelganger, the regeneration, Hermes. He's when you translate it, his name out, it roughly comes to mean um, his highness, the, the the his royal highness of divine eternal youth is basically what his name comes down to. And what are they telling us with this? You get a certain thing for your head <laughs> that will heal you. It'll, you'll, you'll continue your life. You can download it. You can live for forever. Nearly. Yes. And, 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 and I didn't that. want to say the word because Heidi knows what happened last time. Um, <laughs> they don't like it because, uh, uh, like, like Jason was saying, uh. I, God gives me metaphoric and symbolism, and I'm able to start unraveling the tapestry in my mind. It, it's 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 crazy, but it's beautiful when you start yeah. understanding. Oh wow! As a writer, I'm just like, that's pretty dope. So right, I think, right. like, the mentality. Um, if 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 you don't fear, and I, I mean that in reverence, so if people don't get confused, I'm just like reverence of your creator, God, um, that that's the ultimate evil there is. And I, I think that points out a lot with what we were talking about time travel and whatnot. When you look up Astroth, it was the God of time or time travel is affiliated with them. And I'm kind of chuckling at that because I'm, I just read this book cost 94 bucks. That's all thanks to my followers. But very interesting thing when i was reading about this cult of soul invictus it's a sun god cult they had a thing called a black rock that would ride in a chariot of four horses black rock certain company that we know owns a lot of stuff today and i was reading um because you know god's cool like this i wanted to call my show man a daily podcast and i'm reading one time and i get to this verse and it says in revelation 217 he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him some hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone. Um, and on the stone, a name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So we get a black stone and a white stone. And immediately I was thinking of the show Lost, where at the end you have the two brothers. One's wearing the white shirt, one's wearing the black shirt. And in the beginning they had... The kid and uh, what John Locke playing with the little black and white stone bagnet Madden, whatever that's called. And we're mm -hmm. playing with good and evil. We're playing with a mentality is it could be this reality. It could be that reality. And we see that with like their flashbacks, like what could have changed if they could have met beforehand. And sometimes we saw some of those scenarios. What, what could have changed if they go into the afterlife together? And we're constantly playing with that 
with that mentality, what could I do if I could change something like, you know, have that power to manipulate this existence. So I think that's kind of, kind of what Lucifer's mindset is. I think that is what ultimately evil is, is you're asking, what if, what if I was in charge of time and all that ever was, what if I was in charge of eternity? What would that look like for me? And he's made already promises and contracts like Jason was referring to, to his fallen watchers saying, don't worry, we're going to get your kids' bodies back. They're going to have eternal life. We're going to utilize it through them. They're going to be your energy. They're going to harvest you. They're going to be vessels of energy and resources, hence soul, energy of the sun. You're going to harness that energy. Don't worry. And we will go to war against heaven, just like we did with the Tower of Babel. It's just a little bit more time. 2.0 is coming, guys. And that's, again, when you look at the Israeli flags, Isar Arafat, uh, 1988 September Playboy interview. He says, "You know what the the star of is um, Israeli flag is based on? Two blue stripes from the Euphrates. And that dries up. Turkey's already drying it, drying up with their dams. And then you go down to the Nile. That just happens to be the territory where Baal worship was most popular, aka Nimrod's son Tammuz. And the star in the center is the star of Remphan. Again, another star which is condemned in 526 in Amos." And 743 by Stephen the Martyr right before he gets executed. This is the thing. Mm -hmm. The Pharisees are still worshipping, and that's what the Zs are still worshipping. To this day, their Messiah figure is of the Tree of Life, the Leviathan. And they literally were looking at Christ saying, okay, okay, you want to be our Messiah? We'll put you on a tree. We'll give you what you want. You're not the one that we actually wanted, and you're going to be the king of the ewes, the trees, tree of life. That's what they are believing, knowledge of good and evil. That's what we think. We can ascend, whereas you're saying you can come down here and bring us. <laughs> no, 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 no. So when he comes back to life as the way, the truth, and the life, and he died on a cross, that was supposed. To, it was a mockery. It was symbolism of mockery that we can kill you on a tree. It's just... Very powerful metaphors are there, and I think yeah, the symbols tap, are there. Yes, but again, I think that's ultimately what it is: is the hearts and minds of men. And this is where you get with Jeremiah, where it says the heart is deceitfully wicked; who can know it? And then I think it's in uh, nine and ten. I saved the verse. Um, it's, and then the Lord says in seventeen ten, Jeremiah, "I, the Lord, search the mind and try the heart to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings." Hearts and minds, hearts and minds. And I think that's what the ultimate spiritual battle is, is if you're going to let me in, I can change both of those. Your perspective, the way you view the world, let me into your heart and I can control your mind. Yeah, I can see that. You know, it's funny, Drew, you were asking, is there a greater evil above Lucifer? And I don't know why I've got so many movie metaphors in my mind, but all I could see was Samuel Jackson and Black Snake Moan like just turned around like there better not be there better not be no other evil greater than me <laughs> and i it's funny though i think again we get into an issue of semantics you know we get into an issue of word usage is there a greater evil possibly i mean we don't know all the the players in heaven we don't know all the players in hell. We don't know all the people who fell. I mean, it, as far as scripture says, when you go to count the angels, it's an innumerable amount that we can't count. And we've gotten pretty high on the number scale. So whatever it is, it's a pretty big number. And according to Enoch, a third of them sided with 
with Satan, but we don't know all of their 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 pedigree. So I don't know if we could really answer that question. I think though, what scripture does help us do is even if he's not the greatest evil, he was the source of it. And I think that's the 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 core point. He's the one that allowed his own beauty that God had given him to cause him to be self-absorbed. He's the one that came up with this idea of things he could do. Even scripture says that it was iniquity was found in him by the abundance of his trade. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. iniquity was found in you. Do you know how much stuff you got to do for iniquity to be found in you? And then the abundance of your iniquities. Like that's a lot that he was doing. That wasn't a oops. That wasn't a, I'm having a bad day and I'm done with God. He committed to a course of action. He got other people to commit. So he became that central point of rebellion. Now, could he have, could he have, of, of, I think the word is conscripted, uh, other entities into, into league? Sure. Could they have been more powerful than him on a, on a pound for pound level? Possibly. But he's still the federated head of the kingdom of darkness. Of, albeit for maybe spiritual force and power or be it for contractual obligations, he's still considered the head point. And I think that's probably the, the greater takeaway. I do find it interesting though, that in scripture, he's not the last enemy we have that's dealt with. And it always seemed to upset me. Like, why is he not? I would have figured the last enemy that we deal with is the one who started it all. But coincidentally, again, I don't get to have these sidebar conversations with Jesus. When I get up there, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, you know, straighten all of this out because I would have done it differently. But Nobody else is going to see Jesus. Only Jason. For a while. Because <laughs> I got some questions. Things I need to know from birth. I got a list. I'm going to keep it together. Starting out with why the girl's butt shake, Lord, and why'd you let me see that so early in life? Now we need to move forward, God. I got deeper questions. But I think it's interesting that it is death that is the last enemy. That's not what I would have thought. Why death? Why isn't Satan the last one? Right? There's, there's Nothing is by chance. Nothing's coincidental. Nothing is happenstance when it comes to God. So a lot of the questions I got, are you? I, I, I need deeper understanding. I need you to explain why death. I'm not even saying you did it wrong. Just there's something there that's important for why death is the last enemy that's destroyed. Well, arguably, you could say that death is our most vulnerable point in our entire lives. It's a time when we can go into extreme doubt or into extreme belief. And if we are on our last legs, our last moments, that seed of doubt, that fear that drives it, that could be the ultimate point where you're you're taken by the wrong side. You're led down a path which isn't to God, it isn't to righteousness. You are deceived at that very last moment. It is the most crucial moment of a mortal's life. Not just your birth is as important as your beginning point, but the end. The end is the culmination of your physical being. And ultimately, it, it dictates which path you go down in the final moments. Okay, true. But I think that the way you just explained that actually helps put a spotlight on something I think a lot of us do. And that is we take a spiritual reality and we reduce it to a physical one. What I mean by that is the concept of death predates humanity, but we don't see it that way. We normally look at death as a physical thing. And there's a scriptural 
there's there's a scripture that actually highlights this point. I don't have the citation. Brandon will probably know. As soon as I say it, he's gonna he's gonna hit it. <laughs> but there's a scripture that said that um Satan was a murderer from the beginning. How? How can you be a murderer from the beginning? What you kill? And we can't be talking about mankind because it's there from the beginning, not the beginning of us. So from the beginning, you were murdered. Who'd you kill? What'd you do? If our concept of murder is to take a life, so to speak, then it doesn't make sense. If our concept of life and death, though, is expanded a bit, it starts to fall in line. Now, my understanding of death has to do with the idea of separation. When we die physically, our soul or, or the immaterial part of our being is separated from our physical being. So we call that a physical death. If death is predicated on separation, then where was their separation back in antiquity dealing with whatever Lucifer did? There is separation, but separation from what? There were entities that were separated from God when they sided with Lucifer in a great rebellion. If God is considered the source of life, then separation from him would be death. Death is not cessation of existence. It doesn't mean that you're no longer around. It fundamentally means you are separated from the source of life. You can still exist, right? If that's what it means, then what is murder? Murder is to create a death unlawfully. So where do we see that at? Hmm. We see that back with scripture, with Satan. Satan created the spiritual death of his fellow brothers when he got them to side with him against Yahweh, creating a separation between them. Therefore, they died a spiritual death. And because he got them to do something, because he did that unlawfully, created that separation unlawfully, it's considered a murder. And maybe now scripture that makes from sense. the beginning... Right. Maybe he was that from the beginning, because it says in the Bible that even if you think something, you've already committed the sin. Yes. Especially in that so. realm, because of your thought realm, that whole thing exists. It just doesn't exist in our physical reality. So then that makes the whole. The... Go ahead. I was just going to say it makes the, the whole um, death in the Garden of Eden make a lot more sense. Because, you know, it said, right. you know, that day you would die. And we're like, but he's still alive. And then the modern Christianity goes, yeah, but it was a spiritual death. And we really don't know what that means. So we kind of dance around it. But that explanation, I think, nails it. Yeah. Well, I, I looked up the verse. Um, just to I told you to go now. Yeah, you, you get my mind going, Jason. We got to have another chat. I'm, I'm loving you. Hey, brother. we got to, man. Your metaphors speak to my heart. <laughs> right? Um, but it's in, it, that's in John 8, 44, for folks who are actually taking notes. Um, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your uh, father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding him to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I think it's a very powerful thing that we emphasize the truth aspect because that taps into what I was saying with Pontius Pilate. He's, mm -hmm. He doesn't understand what truth is, even though the embodiment of truth in the flesh is standing right in front of him. And what is he? He's, he's grasping that the things of this world, his father, the devil, and he's over here like going like, dude, 
I'm at my wit's end right now. I really do not have time for you, whoever you are. <laughs> Some religious fanatic, another another one, another god. Seriously. Like, and you eventually get later on with Paul, as I die to myself daily. At a certain point, he grasped what it was, even though at another verse he says, like, it's it's a great mystery. I speak of a great mystery. Even I, who studied years of Torah, I don't even understand this, but I'm doing the best I can with bringing up references and sending out letters to the churches to try to explain this whole new concept that was a stranger to me. And again, what did God do to him? Blind him. And it wasn't until he was touched by one of his other people in the faith that he was able to see clearly again. He goes from persecuting and murdering because he was buying the lie to saving souls. We wouldn't have the New Testament, like what, 80% of the New Testament if it wasn't for Paul. So it, I, I think once you understand what with, with with Satan, it's a sin. And what is sin? Sin draws you away. With Christ, it's a sacrifice. Is that you have to humble yourself so you can understand and you can retain and you can get all of what it is to be in the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of Christians don't understand what the Holy Spirit is. It's a very scary thing. But Drew, you know what I'm talking about is when I, I broke down the sacred seed thing, there's very powerful metaphors of the temple and the baptism and understanding what that is. When you, Once you are indwelled, you have the power that what happened with the day of Pentecost was a reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel. I'm going to confuse all their languages. Now everyone's hearing in their native tongues how to attain this truth, this gospel message to get back into the kingdom of heaven. It just redeemed the nations. It's 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 a beautiful love story. And if we don't understand the dichotomy that's at play, the father of lies, father of truth, we're, we're susceptible to falling away to the things of this world. And even culture, cult, or we, we, we've we become demoralized and loving our country more than our creator. We love politics and our party, political parties, more than our than our, our, our Christ. It's, it's really what it's come down here, and especially I'm speaking in American terms. It's a very arrogant ideology. And what is what is God? Hey, hey, God. hey. We're the, we're the greatest nation on the planet. It's not arrogant. <laughs> it's facts. God bless America. Nobody else. Metric America. system. Metric system. America. But, but God is not a God of countries. He's a God of his people. And I think a lot of people, right. they're not grasping that. So therefore, they justify what goes on in overseas because it's not my house, not my family. I was doing what I was supposed to do. And what does Christ say eventually when we get up there? Lord, Lord, didn't we do such and so in your name? Didn't we bomb the bad guys because you're chosen? Depart from me. I never knew you. I never endorsed that. I never signed off on any of that. That's a modern crusade. And you're thinking you're doing that in my name? Get out of here. I'm, Get out of here. I'm going to throw a bit of a spanner in the works here and see what people's thoughts are on this. What that exact um, part of scripture that was mentioned, chapter 8, John's gospel, the uh, you are from the father, yeah. the devil, you prefer to do what your father wants. He was a murderer from the start. He was never grounded in truth. There's no truth in him at all. When he lies, he's speaking to true nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. From my understanding, he's speaking to Yahweh in that. Is that the original spiritual murder? Because what we saw, the actions of Jesus Christ, he was very much against the church of Yahweh and breaking down the system of that church that was around of his time. Is Yahweh 
truly God or is Yahweh a word that has been weaponized in time to take the place of God? Well, I know um, Albert Pike, he was referring to Yahweh as, you know, God. But the thing is that I kind of chuckle because I I try to explain to folks is that, oh, you know, that's not really Jesus's name or that's not, you know, whatever. I don't get into semantics. I want to know, do you actually trust the Father, Son? Do you actually believe in God? Etymology-wise, we speak the tongue of Gentiles. I don't think God's going to get over semantics of, oh, you actually called me, or, you know, my son Jesus, and that's it. I think he's going to be like, I was looking at your heart. I was looking at where your mind was at. Were you actually striving and seeking to follow me? Were you doing the best you could to promote the kingdom of heaven as opposed to hiding in the corner saying, I don't want to be seen until, you know, the rapture gets me out. He doesn't want fearful people in his kingdom. He wants soldiers. He wants people that are going to fight. And I think a lot of times people aren't grasping what that is because they don't understand what it is. And that's why he says narrow is the way and few there be that find it. I don't think many people want that. I don't think they want to fight. Honestly, that's like the rich ruler. When you find out what it's required, you're like, I'm straight. Yeah. You know, there's all, it's, it's funny. It's interesting how often in the natural realm, there are things that we awe at that parallel spiritual realities that we scoff at. That's a t-shirt. I think I'm gonna make that, <laughs> but you know, it, it, was, it was funny. I was talking to Christopher and I was like, Hey, isn't it really strange that when you look at the whole story of Gideon, and Gideon gets his whole fighting force reduced down from like 30,000 down to 300. And you're like, that is a stupid tactical idea, God. I don't know who taught you how to God, but what makes you think that you could go up against a Persian army or whoever, and it's only going to be 300 of y'all. That's re- that is ridiculous. And then Josh Schneider puts out a film and you're like, 300 dudes stood their ground. Who would have ever thought this? This is absolutely amazing. You got to have the mindset of, I don't know what, you got to be a credible soldier to take 300 folks and just stand there. Even when the arrows come down on you, like, hey, we'll fight in the shade. I'm like, them are some bad boys. I wish the Bible had stories like that. It's crazy how often there really are these spiritual realities that the Bible actually endorses that we don't pick up on. The Navy SEALs have an attrition rate that I think is like, eight or nine out of 10, like 80, 90% don't make it. And when you talk to most of the people, most special forces uh, training regiments are not as hard as the Navy SEALs regiment is. And when you talk to most of the people who have made it through it, a lot of them say the same thing. What separates a person that can't make it through buds versus a person who can is not really their physical stamina. It's their mental stamina. It's their mindset. It's do you have a warrior's mentality? It's one of the reasons that Operation Red Pill that Christopher and I are constantly using warrior-like uh, nomenclature and warrior-like terminology to constantly reinfuse that concept of we're at war. This isn't peacetime, mm-hmm. right? You couldn't be dropped off over into like Bangladesh, Ukraine, the jungles of Angola or wherever. And have this soft mentality of, I can't believe they're shooting at me. What what, what are they shooting at me for? Do you, do you have a weapon in your hand? I do. Well, maybe that's why they're shooting at you. You're in the middle of a war zone carrying a weapon. And eh, daggone it. I should have just bought apples today. I'm not trying to get <laughs> shot at. 
most of us don't recognize the fact that here we are sitting in this planet. This planet is a hostile environment and we're supposed to be fighting. So to Josh, to uh, Brandon's point, no, you can't actually sit over in the corner and just be wishing that all of this passes you by. There's no way you can do that credibly and still be like, yeah, God, I was about your business. God's business is about <laughs> kicking in doors, taking names. You got to be very aggressive to do that. And you can't be afraid of getting hit. You can't be afraid of conflict. Hence why the whole fear thing is so important because it, it paralyzes you and you don't move. You don't take ground back. And that's so critical for the success of kingdom operations here on this planet. It's funny. Like as we were talking, I keep uh, back to another movie. I was thinking about uh, Jesse Ventura and predator. And there's a scene where they're sitting all out. Everything's blowing up. And he's like, you're bleeding. He's like, I ain't got time to bleed. Oh, <laughs> when you ain't got time to bleed, you got time to duck. So you still fighting out here. And at some point, you got to pull out old painless, which is that wonderful Gatling gun. And you got to go to town. A lot of us don't want to do that. And I think that's really the, uh, that's really a tragedy of the modern church is so many of us are unwilling to do what it really requires in order and, for evil and, not to run un, unrestricted on its way. Go ahead. Right. And not just that, it's not that so many of us are unwilling. It's that we even disparage those that are doing it. Right. Not we true. hear, Oh, well this person sees a demon behind every door or whatever. And Jason, you've had that, that great analogy that if you're in a war zone, you know, is there a claymore behind every door? Probably not, but we need to act as though there is, or right. you're going to be the casualty of a claymore. You're be missing a leg, <laughs> right? Okay, exactly. Like there was a claymore. Who'd have thunk it in a war zone that they would put IED somewhere? That's that's just befuddling. <laughs> who'd have, who'd have ever imagined that one? Man, they got these new tactics today. I miss the days of guerrilla warfare where you could just fall into a mine pit that you didn't know was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah I think crazy. it just really exposes the fact that the the modern church does not have that warrior mindset and they're actively working against it and i think that's so much of what christ was trying to develop is really that mm -hmm. warrior mentality like so many of us are have, have gotten that stripped away from us and it's it's almost disheartening because i, I think christianity um, yeah i think drew you were saying is, is people are expecting this supernatural power to like rescue them per se, right? And yeah, Jesus does do that. But it's also the do what I'm supposed to do for me. And he doesn't do that. There's a lot that we're supposed to be doing that. Unfortunately, I just don't think we are. And well, yeah, it and shows just, in and, our environment. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes we say that, that, that God won't do for you what you can do for yourself. And in right. just the, the resurrection of Lazarus, we see a lot of that. Right, Jesus didn't roll the uh, the the stone away from the opening of the tomb. Right, Jesus didn't cut off Lazarus' grave clothes. He told everybody else to do that. He was there to speak life into a man that was dead. All the other work were for his friends to do. And right. I, I mean, we, we got to really learn that lesson. God is here to yep. do the things that we can't. Everything else, we've got to do. That's why we constantly say on the show, you pray like it's all up to God, but you work like it's all up to you. Yep. When you do that, it makes the difference. If if Lucifer is as powerful as he says he is, 
doing that approach limits that power. I think I've stumbled across a topic I'd love to discuss with you guys next time around. I keep finding myself being drawn back to Yahwism because I'm a academically historical person. I love history. I love the theology of how religions adapt and change over time. I love the idea here, how languages change, the adaption of words, the changing of words. Something keeps drawing me back to Yahwism, which was the original faith of the Hebrews before its reformation into a singular God deity and the pantheon that surrounded Yahweh in that time. And what brought this to mind for me was when Jesus said, no man has ever seen my father. Man only comes to my father through me. So that led, that logically made me question, who did Abraham and Moses actually see? Who were they conversing with if no man has ever seen my father but me? What? <laughs> May I? So wait, are we saving this for next time or are you, uh, you, you ready now? Let's let's save it for next time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Because I got uh, verses, my friend. <laughs> I, oh, I know you do. I brought old painless out. I was like, oh, snap, I'm not putting back now. <laughs> All right, everybody. All right, cool. This was this is a fantastic show. Let's go around the horn. Where can people find your work? Heidi, you start off. I'm Heidi Love. I'm at the Unfiltered Rise. Everywhere podcasts are served. I'm on Patreon with our new Blood Atonement specials. So check us out, and we'll hope to see you there. Christopher, Jason, jump on in. Yeah, we are uh, Operation Red Pill. Uh, we release an episode every Wednesday at midnight. Uh, our home site is orppodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at orppodcast, Facebook at orppodcast, and Patreon, Patreon slash orppodcast. Check us out, show us some love, and uh, let us know what you think. Brandon, over to you. Uh, yeah, you can find me, Crollology, Kroll like my last name, Ology, lower underscore 101. And uh, for Rumble, Man of Daily Podcast, all one word, Patreon as well. Fantastic. And uh, if you're listening to me on one of these lovely people's platforms, I'm Drew Missing of Your Missing the Point podcast. Find me on all the usual podcatchers, Podbean, uh, all the usual shows, all the usual places. Uh, I'm going to close yes. this show out with Romans 16.20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And Brandon, as a new member of the coalition, would you like to finish the show off with a prayer, brother? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, we just want to thank you for the gift of um, having the Holy Spirit and having these discussions, Lord. It's a really deep and divine realm of as Paul stated, we we don't he doesn't even understand the mysteries of this great faith of ours. We thank you for your son, and we thank you for uh, the gift of sharing this community, of um, being able to delve into your word, Lord, and try to understand um, great aspects, Lord, of of your creation, of your mentality, and of this war um, and family that you've invited us to participate in. Lord, it's it's truly a great honor, and um, I I don't know how to put it into words, but I'm just really grateful for brothers and sisters that are seeking you in this day and age when a lot of churches have become very lukewarm. Um, Lord, I, I just want to ask for a blessing upon the hearers and listeners that they retain something from the discussion that was had. Um, Lord, upon the people's lives that were um, a part of this discussion and panel, that you just continue to open up our eyes and uh, have our voices within your whole church, Lord, to speak boldly um, 
and come before the throne when we are having questions and doubts about um, who you are and how we are supposed to be your ambassadors on earth. Um, we ask that we honor you with our representation and we're not the servant who's hiding our talent and hiding instead of standing forward um, before the throne and being bold with your word. Um, Lord, we just want to thank you uh, again for letting us be your warriors, um, be your bride. Um, in, your, in your name, we pray and ask all these things. Amen. 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 Once again, thank you, lovely people. I've got to thank you all again for joining me on the coalition. I'm truly blessed to have found such a wonderful group of friends and family, this little yeah. church that we gather together in. Brandon, thank you for joining us. Dropping scripture thank you for having like me. a hammer, as always, my friend. I'll catch you all <laughs> next time. <laughs>